It is a joy to have with us here today Tanya and Ivan Largent, and we're looking forward to hearing this morning, during this first hour, a report of their ministry in Uruguay. So Ivan, if you'd like to come at this time and share with us. Well, it's truly a blessing to be here this morning. Uh, for a while, we thought we weren't going to be able to be here. And uh, just amazing how God works all things together in his time. And so truly a blessing to be able to be back and be able to see y'all face to face. Uh, some new faces we haven't met, some people we haven't met, other people that know your face. I may not remember your name. I'm terrible with names. So uh, just uh, glad to be here this morning. And uh, I'd like to share just an update on what the Lord is doing in, uh, in Uruguay in the hearts of people. I just love seeing God work in the hearts of people, using His Word to change lives for Him. And over the last several years, it's been, there's been a lot of things that have happened that are somewhat discouraging. And uh, at one point, I was laying on my back for a period of time, and so using that time for extra prayer and also reading some missionary biographies that... I had been wanting to read, one of whom was David Livingston, and then started reading uh, Robert Moffat, his father-in-law. And in one of, the, one of Robert Moffat's journals, as he's trying to reach into the African tribes and not seeing any fruit, he just wrote kind of in dismay at one point. He said, I feel like I'm sowing seeds on a rock. And uh, how, much fruit, how much fruit are you going to get if you sow seeds on a rock? It's kind of hard, isn't it? It'd be frustrating. Why does this stuff grow? And uh, I thought, well, I can kind of relate to that after spending just so much energy and time and resources into preaching and teaching and not seeing much fruit come from it. And so really just laying it on, at, before God and, and knowing that He'd called us there and he, will, he uses His Word. He's called us to be faithful in preaching His Word and He is the only one that can change the heart. And so for our, for our furlough, we took this verse as our theme in, out of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel says, And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. It's a miracle. Only God can do it. I can preach and talk and try to convince somebody till I'm out of air, and still somebody's not going to change. It's only God can do the work in the heart. He's the one that's still in the miracle business, and He can still change the stoniest, hardest, rocky heart and cause fruit to grow. So I just, uh, Uruguay, I was just going to show a few uh, slides here, just kind of the, the culture there. Uh, we're reaching gauchos for God's glory. Gauchos are the Uruguayan cowboys, South American cowboys. And uh, Uruguay is, for those of you who don't know, it's in South America. Some, when I first heard it, I thought, Africa. But it's actually on the other side of the ocean in uh, South America, right below Brazil, on the, where there's a big curve on the east side of South America, right south of Brazil. And then, so we're bordered on the north and east by Brazil, and then on the west by Argentina. It's got beautiful white sand beaches, and so their primary economy is tourism. So if they don't open up pretty quick, they're going to be in big trouble because their summer's coming up here at the end of November. They start summertime for December, January, February. And their main industry where they make a lot of their money is from tourism on the white sand beaches. And they get a lot of people from the United States, Argentina, and Brazil. Uh, 
This, this, so, and the secondary industry is beef and wool. So there's about five head of, of sheep per capita. There's three and a half million people in the country, so you do the math. And about three head of cattle per capita. So um, the agricultural industry is very important, uh, being the secondary money-making uh, in the country. So this is a typical gaucho on a, on a spring morning here. You can see the, he's waiting on the edge of town, ready to go back out to his, his place and take care of his animals. Uh, typical garb. He's waiting there for the bus system, which is a very uh, reliable system, with uh, fuel being over $7 a gallon, and the transport, public transportation is used a lot more heavily than we do here. And uh, then the other thing they use is a lot of motorcycles. So a little 75 to 200 cc motorcycles all over the place. They use them from, for getting uh, from place to place. And then this guy, as you can see, he's got some, some two bys. I don't know if you can see very well, but he's carrying about six two by eights, a 12 foot long there, taking it to finish a project on his house. And uh, so then uh, this is actually in the city, capital city of Montevideo, which is about six hours uh, to the southwest of us where about half the population lives. And uh, this is up close to the border of Brazil. The food and fuel in Brazil is a third cheaper than Uruguay, so there's a lot of contraband. And they use these 200cc motorcycles, uh, put about six to eight shocks welded on the back of them so they can hold the weight. And they'll haul 600 liters of diesel, um, Coke, gas cans are like those uh, people use for cooking, their cook stoves run off of the gas cans like you have on the front of an RV or under your um, grill. So they usually stack about 13 of those on the back of a, of a motorcycle when they go to film up in Brazil. And uh, you sure don't want to have a blowout when you're carrying one of those loads. <clears throat> and you get some interesting things to eat. Uh, being from Texas, uh, the Texans have this slogan, everything's bigger in Texas. And I found out that that wasn't true when it comes to lizards. Uh, we have some lizards. Uh, this particular one was over 40 inches long that my boys killed in the chicken coop. And uh, we try to keep them out of the chicken coop because they can eat a dozen eggs in a hurry. So the, our neighbors and people around said, well, you should eat them. They're really good to eat. So we cut off the tail of this particularly big one and put it on the grill and, and uh, roasted it up. And uh, a couple of my boys says it's better than chicken. So you want to know what it tastes like. <laughs> um, this is typical to find around Christmas time where they'll take a piglet, 25, 30 pound piglet, and uh, they'll butcher them and then shave them from the tip of the nose to the tip of the tail with a Gillette razor. And then they'll put them in the oven and uh, roast them up for uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. They still use a lot of horses, uh, being as fuel so high, horses are used especially with agriculture. These, this particular horses are in a for a competition. Uh, but as you can see there right beside them, the condition of the road, this is the road between our house and town. And uh, so it's, it's uh, once they repair it, it lasts a couple weeks and then it's back in this condition. And uh, so they, a lot of people still use horses for transportation when they're not going long distances especially. One of our neighbors taking uh, another horse over to his other property here. And uh, they love to get together. They're very social people. I was telling several of you the other night that they're not related, not so much dependent on the time and the hour as they are on people. People are really important. Relationship between people and family is super important. So they love to get together and just spend time together. They'll have uh, 
events with uh, horses, around horses or bicycles or whatever it is, and just spend the whole day together. So you th see these guys in typical gaucho garb having a lot of fun. This guy's really getting into it here. And uh, here's, this guy's uh, trying to get this horse uh, tamed down a little bit. You can see the, the crowds in the background here. They're just they're all sitting around. They bring their picnic lunch and just spend the whole day together. Uh, it's not as much about the event as it is about the people that are there. And uh, so how do, we, how do we plant the seed? How do we preach the, the gospel to these, these people? What are we doing? Well, there's three general areas that we could kind of group it into. We have the rural area where we are in the ranching community where we live. And then about 40 minutes away, the town of Melo, which is 50,000 people, uh, helping Pastor Eduardo establish the church there. And then, uh, and so we have Bible studies and door-to-door -door, uh, evangeliz evangelization. And then in two other villages, weekly Bible studies, which are basically church plants in those other villages. But how we actually go about uh, spreading, the, spreading the gospel I uh, try to attend several uh, livestock auctions every month, and so some of them are larger livestock auctions where they sell cattle and sheep, and other ones are smaller where there's pigs and chickens and, and uh, ducks and geese and all kinds of rabbits and even produce. But there again, it's a very social deal. So the second time I walk into this auction, then the auctioneer just stops right in the middle of auctioning off a cage of chickens. And he's like, hola, Ivan. And, uh, and, and he just starts talking to me like we'd met on the street or something. And like we were old buddies asking me how the family was doing and how the animals were doing. And, and I'm sitting there, a gringo, you know, and to crawl under a rock. And, and uh, I'm looking around and everybody else is just acting like this is a normal deal. And I'm thinking, well, somebody's going to want their waiting to buy some chickens and the other people are waiting to sell them. And, here I'm interrupting everything, but uh, they weren't viewed it, didn't view it as that. This is, this is normal. And uh, so auctions, you know, the auctioneer stops more frequent than not in talking to somebody than he is actually selling animals. And uh, so for the next 15 minutes, and he's right there talking into the mic, you know, and everybody hears everything. So I was like, well, walked up as close as I could so everybody could hear me too and witnessed him like I usually do. So I use those opportunities at the auctions and just the very personal and um, people-friendly atmosphere to talk to people. And it's, there's some people that don't really want to talk. Um, other people introduce me to new people I haven't met, and they're like, oh yeah, you're the guy that always talks about God. And well, that's the thing that's most important, and that's the thing that's going to be for eternity, so that's what we're, I, I like to talk about. And um, it's always meeting new people and being able to witness to them they don't want to talk, give them a track. Um, then in the summertime, when it's in the 90s and up 90% humidity, uh, a lot of people have cement roofs. And so without air conditioning, it just kind of drives you out of the house in the afternoon when it's really hot and go out underneath the shade trees uh, or in the shade of the building. And so walking up and down the street, when we go with, with a church family, our family, or just pastor myself walking up and down, there's all kinds of people to talk to just outside, sitting outside, and they're very friendly, very uh, willing to talk for the most part, so we take advantage of that. Um, in the rural areas, when we try to invite people to our house, we go out and met the neighbors and get to know them and try to invite them to our house for Bible study, 
In the nine years we've been there, we haven't had any of our neighbors come to the house for a Bible study. And pretty frustrating. In town, we'd, we'd get people to come to church or we'd go to people's houses. Um, but in, you know, here we haven't had anybody. And these, these neighbors came, have come to our house for a birthday party or they came to our house uh, when we had a baptism at our house, but it was more for the social event. It wasn't because they were wanting to hear the gospel. And so I was pretty frustrated about that. And uh, last year we had some friends of ours that were coming from a couple hours away to visit us uh, every couple months, and we go down to visit them. And uh, so they would, one time they came up, they brought their aunt with them who had grown up out on a ranch. And uh, so I asked her, I said, how do I get, how do I reach these people out here? And she said, well, when she was little, that somebody had come, a missionary had come down their road offering to have Bible studies in, in their home. And her parents were the only people on the road that I accepted. And so uh, through that, the Lord worked through his word and her parents were saved and all 11 children were saved. And uh, she said, I would just, just go offer to have Bible studies in their home. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm, I'm like, no duh, I'm a hardhead. That's what we do in town all the time is offer to have Bible studies in people's homes and in the villages the same way. Uh, it was out here. We have a house that's big enough and have it, we made it so we could have a big living room so we could have people there and um, I need to go to their home. So last year, the last six months, uh, I just, or eight months that we were there from June on, uh, just going and revisiting the families in the area and offering Bible studies we had three different families accept a Bible study on a regular basis. So just, again, God working in the hearts and working in me, uh, stretching me. And, and, uh, and uh, this is uh, another of our neighbors that helps us. We have uh, several of the neighbors live right close to us that um, they're there available 24-7. Uh, I'll just call them up, send them a text, go over and ask them for help, and they'll be there. Uh, to help, and most of the time they won't let me pay them or reimburse them for their time. They said, well, that's what neighbors are for, to be here to help you. And I uh, said, so someday I might need you, and you'll be there to help me, so I'm going to be here to help you. And uh, so this, this, this man likes uh, shearing sheep. Uh, we ended up getting some sheep uh, as a result of a lot of different people in the area and our neighbors saying, you really need to get sheep. Um, when we first got there for the first, what, five years? I thought, I am never going to have sheep. I had sheep when I was a teenager, and uh, those are stupid animals. Pardon for those of you who like sheep. Um, but they're stupid, and I did not want any sheep anymore. Uh, so we got there in Uruguay, and everybody, out in the rural area, most everybody eats lamb. Uh, because with, before electricity came along, which even today, a lot of people don't have electricity in the rural areas, but uh, you couldn't eat a beef before it went bad, especially in the summertime. So they butcher a sheep and try to eat it within a week. They hang it up on a pole out in front of the house. If the flies are really bad, then you put a screen around it and they try to eat it up before it goes bad. And uh, you know, only the big estancias that have a lot of workers could eat a beef, so most everybody eats sheep. And we'd go to these auctions and somebody would be introducing me to somebody else and they'd be like, oh, what kind of sheep do you have? And I'm like, I don't have sheep. What do you eat? <laughs> Are you a dumb vegetarian or what? <laughs> we had, at that point, we had a freezer in, in town. And so, um, so anyway, we ended up buying sheep, and that opened up just 
so many more avenues of witness and so many more people thinking, oh, they're real people. They're not just some weird, <laughs> weird gringos. And uh, so we ended up getting some sheep. This is another of our neighbors that likes to take the wool from when it first comes off the sheep, wash it, spin it, and she makes it everything from little booties for kids to saddle blankets. And uh, we've had a lot of opportunity to witness to her over the years we've been there, her, both her and her husband. Uh, she professes to be somewhat, somewhat of a witch, uh, so we pray for her a lot. Her husband says it's all in her head, it's just made up. Uh, and he's a lot more open to the gospel. And just within the last year, he's been asking questions and, and when, we, when we talk. And so just see the Lord using his word to soften, soften the hearts of uh, his name. I believe we mentioned him before in our prayer letter, Amancio, and this is wife, Lourdes. So that's how we go about preaching the gospel, and then you have to water the seeds. And, and I kind of mentioned that, um, that we go to in uh, rural, rural villages, the Bible studies we have in the rural villages, and in town we have Bible studies in their home where we show up and have a, just 10, 15 minutes of uh, just talking and conversing with them, asking about them and their family, and then sing, pull out the guitar, which a lot of people love music, so pull out the guitar and sing some songs and then have a Bible study, uh, Bible lesson. And uh, you can see the walls are, the, most rooms, most houses are really small. Um, so in the wintertime, usually we're crammed inside of a, a small room and have a fireplace or wood stove uh, to stay warm when it's wet and cold outside. And then in the summertime, out underneath the trees and uh, this, this particular village, there's a veranda out there where we can uh, gather together and set up for, for a service. Uh, in, this, in this village, there's the one lady who's a believer. Uh, her husband is not a believer, and he's been very hard to begin with. He'd come and listen sometimes, then leave, and then over the last few years, he's come, and he's there every time we have a Bible study every week at their home. He can't read. His wife uh, can read, and so she'll write down the lesson as, as we're going through it, and then that evening, she'll go over it with her husband, and then the next couple days... Uh, during the week, she's out sharing it with her friends and different, different neighbors that she has. And so it's just amazing to see her enthusiasm for God's Word, and when we're not there, she's really disappointed. Um, and um, it's just a, neat to see. And she's, there's been several people that have come to the Bible study just as a result of her going out and talking to people. So her friends starting to come. And um, so it's just neat to see God working in hearts. This uh, gentleman, uh, Mauricio, we've asked prayer for him several times. Uh, he's the kind of guy that just, for three to six months, he'll just be on fire. He'll want more and more and more Bible study. He can't, can't learn fast enough, can't learn enough. And uh, so we'll go out. He loves fishing. I, don't, I grew up in West Texas in the desert, hardly know anything about fishing. And uh, so we'll go out fishing, and then we'll have a Bible study together. Uh, you know, after church, he'll always want to ask questions and go back in the in the fellowship hall and be studying some more. And then so three to six months just like that, and then he'll cool off and not, not want to have anything to do with me or not even answer my phone calls or texts uh, for another six months to a year and then swing back to wanting, wanting to uh, study God's Word again. So just praying for him, continue praying for him. When we left, he was just, he was every night, he was calling me and texting me till. I would stop and say, I got to go to bed. And then he'd go to the pastor's house, and the pastor stays up later, and he'd go to the pastor's house and be with him until the pastor says, I'm going to bed. I got to get up and work tomorrow. So, um, and just wanted to study the Bible and 
So really praying for Mauricio, please keep praying for him that God would just work in his heart. He would really turn his life over to the Lord and, and allow God to save him. Then nurturing the plants. As you have small plants growing, you've got to nurture them, right? Um, and we believe that starts in the home with our family. So here several years ago when our two older children started asking about baptism and what it was, then we had a, uh, and expressing a desire to be baptized, then we had a class in our home where we just taught through it about six weeks of uh, baptism and then uh, set up the swimming pool there beside the house and uh, both Katie and uh, then David were baptized and several of our neighbors came for that and they left. They said, we've never seen anything like this. And so it was a good testimony for the, um, for the neighbors and also it was wonderful for the church family as well. And then as we try to instill our children as a, as a family, everybody has a part to play. Everybody has to help uh, or things just don't function. And so it's neat to see them carrying that concept over into, into the body of Christ and seeing where they can be a part. And our children love to sing specials, love to help out with music, so they help out a lot with that and uh, even organizing for the other kids, getting them excited and helping sing specials and helping where they can in the church. This is a camp that we were able to participate in. It's about two hours away. And there was three different churches they got together for a camp on this, at this campground. Um, about 65 kids there, and it was just really neat. About half of them were churched kids, and then the other half unchurched uh, from the villages around the area for this, uh, this week of camp. And so it was a really neat time to be able to see God working in the kids' lives during that time. The gentleman here in the middle, I get the, this is, that's Pastor Eduardo. And uh, he had left a Pentecostal, was a, it was a sound church to begin with when he started helping with a church there in Melo. And then over the years, the pastor of the church started accepting a lot of the uh, witchcraft coming down from Brazil that's mixed with a lot of the Pentecostal churches. And uh, Eduardo says, this is not, this is not biblical. The pastor said, you're going to keep going that way. So Eduardo, about 20 years ago, said, I can't, this is not biblical, I can't be a part of it, and left the church started to work in his home, and that grew to his, until he outgrew the garage, and then uh, the Lord provided this house down the street for him to meet in. And so these, these men around him here are different men that over the last 20 years had a part in his training for the ministry, and we ordained him as pastor there in 2017. It was an amazing testimony to the, to the neighborhood and a lot of the people there around that know him. This is the main sanctuary here, this time uh, of uh, testimony after the Lord's, uh, the Lord's table. And then here's the fellowship hall, always uh, lots of good food to eat in the wintertime when it's cold and wet. Everybody packs in to the fellowship hall where we gather around for food and fellowship. And then in the summertime, outside around the grill. You'll see Pastor Eduardo kind of hiding behind the tree there. <laughs> um, this, then our, the, on Saturday, we have a Bible, hood, uh, Bible class for the children. There, just a lot of the families are broken families, and the kids come, you know, sometimes they're there. Next week, they might be across town with their grandma or, or another family member. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of people that aren't there all the time. Uh, but the regular kids that are coming, there was, up until last year, there was about 12 to 15 every Sunday, or every Saturday morning, rather. And then uh, last year, some of those really started getting excited about what they were learning 
and, and started inviting more of their friends and neighbors. And uh, so it got up upwards of 20 that were in the class and uh, every Saturday morning. So there again, just neat to see God changing hearts and uh, working through his word to draw people to himself. And we had uh, this young man, uh, there's Pastor Eduardo, his wife, Selva, and next to him is uh, a young man named Andrew. He came down and spent eight weeks with us as an intern, just was my shadow, basically. Enjoyed time with him, getting to hear his um, desire to serve the Lord and showing him what we were doing there in Uruguay as far as ministering and preaching the gospel. And it was a really neat testimony, both him and then uh, my cousin came down after the birth of our last son, and she stayed there for about three weeks just helping, us, helping the family, and then she also helped us with uh, VBS in two different uh, villages. And it was a real blessing, not only for our family and the church family, but after she left, we'd meet people and they'd be talking about her and, saying, and, and, the, and the young man that came down just saying, it's amazing these, these guys came and spent that kind of time and resources uh, and it impacted their lives in ways that we didn't, didn't even dream of, didn't even think of. And, uh, and so able to preach to even reach out to more people and share the gospel with them. And then uh, right before we left in January, Pastor Eduardo's youngest daughter, Milena, has Down syndrome. She's 25 years old, but she has an incredible testimony for Christ. And uh, so she'd expressed desire to be baptized. And when her father thought she was ready, we had a service there at the, at the creek on our place and uh, had a bunch of our, several neighbors, a bunch of her unsaved family and the church family there uh, to be part of that. And... Uh, when you're constantly pouring out, pouring out, God stretches your faith. And this time, the last three years has been a time of stretching. So here in 2017, I don't know why I took this picture, but uh, <laughs> there I am in the back of the ambulance. I'd, I'd out, been out to a funeral in the morning, then went back to church and was uh, weed-eating the grass and ended up with such bad back pain. I finally crawled out to the truck and got to the house laid up for about 10 days and still the pain wasn't going, getting any better. So as a last resort, I went to the hospital and uh, to the specialist and he sent me to the hospital. And the hospital room, there I am, there's, there was eight beds in there, all about two feet apart. Uh, there's the next room over when they'd emptied out some of the beds. But uh, I'm laying there and in all this pain, they're giving me pain meds and trying to figure out what we're gonna do. And it was the last place I wanted to be. The first, the first day I got there, they put me on this bed and the springs were so worn out, it's like laying in a banana. And, uh, and I, I told the head nurse, I said, I cannot lay in this bed. And it was getting dark by that point. She says, well, tomorrow we'll go I'll get another one out of storage for you. And, uh, and I said, well, if, if we don't have another bed now, I mean, all the other beds in the room are full. And I said, if we can't change it out now, I'm gonna lay on the floor. And she said, no, don't lay on the floor. The germs will kill you. And uh, so, <laughs> I said, well, you better get me another bed. So I ended up getting another bed. Um, Mauricio came every day I was there during visitor hours between 4 and 5 o'clock, and, uh, and he wanted Bible study. So everybody else has visitors too, and so we had a whole room full of Bible study, everybody giving their input and asking questions. And it uh, reminded me of what Corey Tim Boom said, that often what we might seem, what to us seems an obstacle God can use for an opportunity. And uh, so 
I thought being on my back in the hospital was a great big obstacle to being able to go out and preach. And God had opportunities there in the hospital, uh, people that needed to hear Christ. Then as a result of some of the pain medication they gave me for my back, uh, the next year in 2018, I went back because it tore up my gut. I'd lost 35 pounds and I couldn't even drink a glass of water without feeling terrible. And uh, so I went back to the specialist and you'd get there sometimes, so you'd have to be there at seven in the morning. You'd have a day, a time, and a number. And you'd still have to get there at seven in the morning. Sometimes you might wait till the middle of the day and the nurse would come out and be like, oh, by the way, the doctor's not coming. Um, so, you know, from my mind, I'm like, I'm wasting a whole half of days waiting around at the doctor's office. But this is what everybody else was doing at the same time. So the halls are crowded. And uh, so I just start preaching, start talking to people. Afterward, people come up to me and ask me questions. And uh, several people came to church just as a result of that. So again, what we might seem to be an obstacle, God can use for an opportunity. <clears throat> then 2019, um, I just finished devotions. The kids were getting up and getting them settled on the couch with their Bibles for Bible time. And the wind started howling. I was bracing the back door so it wouldn't buckle in. And then I saw a tornado come down and hit this tree in the backyard. And I yelled to the kids to hit the floor. And I dove on top of them. About that time, a branch came through the door right where I'd been standing. And uh, the next, next moment, <clears throat> that's the, the roof went. And that was the state of our living room, or our dining room slash school room and there's the living room um, and just physical things go out the window or up in the air in a hurry and uh, about 20 minutes later our neighbors started coming by to check on us make sure a wall hadn't fallen down on top of us make sure we were okay help start helping us clean up and uh, there, the you see the insulation some in this picture but it was terrible the yellow insulation across the pasture and uh, the, one of our neighbors is a police, and he's very atheistic. Every time I'd gone beforehand to talk to him about God, he just, he just cut me off and said, no, I don't want to hear a thing about God. Don't talk to me. Don't bring God around here. And we prayed for him and prayed for him. He came in the morning in the police truck to check on us, and in the afternoon he showed up in his personal vehicle, and uh, he was, I came around the, the corner of the house at one point, and our, my kids were with feed sacks, trash bags, picking up trash out across the pasture. And uh, they were just singing away. Songs we sing in Sunday school for children's church, Bible club. And I, I come around the corner and, and he just had his mouth wide open as he's watching the kids out across the hill. And I thought that can't help but impact his heart. And every time between the tornado and the time we came home on furlough in January, every time we went to his house, which about five or six times, I was able to talk to him about the Lord, and he never cut me off. He just listened. And so God can work in the hardest of hearts. God can change the hardest of hearts. Oh, here's our garage. We tried to pick up, clean up the house and stuff everything in the garage. That Thankfully, the garage wasn't touched by the tornado. Um, while it rained for 10 days, we swept out the house. When fill up, it fell up with about two inches of water. We had to sweep it out. Finally, the sunshine came out, and we were able to get some guys to come rebuild and put the roof back on the house as I was still in too much pain to be able to do that. And then this is a picture of the house right before uh, we came home on furlough uh, and able to have it for 40 plus people there for the baptism and had a fellowship afterwards. So just so thankful for 
God working in us, stretching our hearts and working in our hearts for him to be able to see him work in the hearts of, that, of people who have hard hearts and seeing him change the hardest of heart for his glory. And it's just amazing to be a part of that. And uh, just thank you all so much for your prayers and your support. Uh, it really means a lot to us. Our plans right now, we've been uh, changed a lot since as most of the world's been changed in the last six, seven months. But uh, we just got confirmed last week, I believe it was, uh, the week before last, rather, um, got our tickets changed to the 4th of November when we're heading back to Uruguay. So they're opening up. American Airlines is flying in, uh, starting to fly back in on the 4th of November, and we got our tickets confirmed for that date. So we're excited to be back home. Uh, I talked to Pastor Eduardo almost every week, and uh, they've had services now for the last three Sundays. And... Um, they're really excited about us coming back, being able to come back as well. So I'll just open it up for a couple minutes. If any questions, something that I said that raised a question or something I didn't say that you'd like to know about. Oh, there's a lot of a lot of similarities. Horses are horses and cows are cows across the world. So uh, the culture around that is very self-sufficient, very, um, you know, I don't, I don't need anything from the outside. I'm, I'm okay where I am. Just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. And um, another part of the Uruguayan culture that plays into preaching to people and, and, and trying to get them to think about eternity is the here and now basis. Uh, there's so much, as long as I'm okay for right now, I don't, I don't even want to worry about tomorrow. And just an example of that, like in the, there's a lot, in town, there's a lot of little corner stores on every block. And people go in there, and it's like five o'clock is snack time. People go in there, and you'll see them buying two hot dogs and a little package of ketchup, and a little package of mayonnaise, and a Coke, and two buns. And, uh, you know, that's snack. And then they'll be back again for supper. Um, you know, for every meal, it's that, that routine. So there's people there all the time, but they're just getting what they need. Their refrigerators and freezers are empty besides for ice or maybe a, maybe a Coke. And uh, so it's just, just as long as I have for right now. And so you say, well, have you thought about eternity? And I say, who cares about eternity? Um, and so just try to, try to talk to them and about knowing God, knowing there is a God and the, knowing, and the need to know him personally. Um, is it very important? And like I say, only God can change the hardest of hearts. Yes? So you mentioned that there was a Protestant influence. Is there, is there any other religions kind of going in that area? Well, statistically, the, the Roman Catholics is 47%, but most of the ones we come across are very non, uh, non-practicing. So they kind of say the Roman, Roman Catholic just to kind of get you off their back and get you to talk about something else. Um, but many of them don't even practice, um, practice at all or go. Like the auctioneer I, that I've known for eight years, uh, every time I'd go to talk to him and multiple times every year, I'd be there in his office talking to him and he'd be telling me how much of a good Catholic he was and how many good things he did and how he was relying on that for salvation. And the, just, just before he came back, back in last December, I was in his office again and he says, I have to confess that I haven't done any of those things that are, I haven't been in, stepped into church since I was 19 and he's up in his 40s. 
Um, he says, uh, you know, I, he grew cold toward God when he went and visited the Vatican as a 19-year-old and saw the, the wealth and the gold and, and said it's just a farce, so that's not God. <laughs> um, and so there's, there's Roman Catholicism, there's, there's a few Buddhists, Hindus, there's some Jews. Um, they're actually the, the main, the, the Jews that live in our area are on a six-month rotation because they come in to slaughter, uh, to the slaughterhouse to slaughter the beef uh, do a kosher killing, and so they're on a six-month rotation, and uh, able to talk to some of them sometimes, but most of the time they don't. They don't really want to talk very much. And then the uh, the uh, Pentecostalism, it's, a lot of it's mixed with witchcraft, uh, is the most prevalent. Um, and it came the two strains that are there, the main churches um, that are pushing that, are come from stem from Brazil, so. Now, right now, I think there's still a, there's still a restriction on that as as far as how many people can be, you know, it's like a percentage, kind of like there was here at some point, um, a percentage of the people or a percentage of the building occupancy, um, and they're just they're not um, school attending school is not mandatory yet, so that's you know as far as the school system before it was mandatory, everybody had to all the kids had to be in school, and they haven't done that mandated that yet, so it's still up to the parents' decision. And um, they're still encouraging people 65 and older to stay inside and stay in their homes. But it's not, I think they've loosened that. Earlier it was they, they had to, now they're encouraging them to, but not saying they have to. So. <clears throat> A lot of it's, I think, following the TV culture. There's, as more and more TV gets piped in from other countries, they follow, you know, and, it's, and it just goes downhill from there. They follow what they see, and, and of course, sin has a part of that, too. And so there's a lot of, a lot of broken families, even, and even families that are, might be together, they still, a lot of them living with their parents. Uh, so a lot of people in a close, close environment. So... One more question, and I think we'll break, and then if you have any other questions, we'd be glad to answer them afterwards. How, uh, how pro life are they? The unborn to the elderly. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's basically they try to mimic America in, in a lot of the, most everything, so. Yeah, they want to be like America, where everybody is rich and famous, and well, just like they see on TV, so. Okay, well, we have some new prayer cards. It has all, all of our children on it in the back if you'd like to pick up one of those, uh, some other, other things to look at at the table, and we'd be glad to um, visit with, with you more and uh, answer any other questions you might have. Thank you very much.